First reading for the third Sunday of Easter comes from Acts, the ninth chapter. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, where I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was still with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc at Jerusalem, of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. We're still enjoying the Easter season, and probably ringing in the back of our minds is the great Easter greeting, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. But today I'd like to suggest a little twist on that. Perhaps we should say also, you have risen, you have risen indeed, alleluia. We heard it in both of our lessons, this renewal that Easter brings. First, Saul of Tarsus, great persecutor of the church. He encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Everything changes for him. He is renewed. The disciples are fishing. And if you recall, before Jesus died, the last meal he had with them was in the evening, coming to the end of the day and to the cross. But now Jesus is with the disciples in the morning. And he celebrates another meal with them. And that meal is breakfast. We in the Easter season are the Easter people and everything is about this renewal. On Easter Sunday, I preached about the resurrection and its connection to our focus on success and finding the right success, the success that generates out from the success of the resurrection. Today, I would like to look at the resurrection again I'd like you to see how it is really at the very heart of the entire universe in terms of the renewal of this universe. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I would like you to think about the earthly mindset on the one hand and the Easter mindset on the other. The earthly mindset is not entirely bad. What is problematic about it is when that is all that we think about. So we think about trying to improve things, good health, good relationships, a good education, good income, medicine, better government, economy, and so on and so forth. But no matter how hard we work on all those areas of life, no matter how hard we might try to perfect them, we are still going to find that life is filled with accidents, emptiness, disappointments, unhappiness, finally sickness, and death. Jack Kirby is kind of the father of comic book writers. He is the one who brought life to such uh, figures as uh, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man, X-Men. Uh, Jack Kirby's writings were an escape for people from this not-so-super world that we live in. 
And Jack Kirby said something I find very uh, profound. Other people have said the same thing, but I think it's a very important thing to realize. Life, he said, at its best is bitter sweet. That is so true. When we chase the sweetness of money and of the pleasures of hobbies, the perfection of, of our relationships, marriage and family and so on, uh, we will eventually find those sweet things going away. They are not eternal. And human beings will stick nevertheless to an earthly mindset to try to find a solution to this bitterness part of life. Ray Kurzweil was a teenager, I believe, when he was on a television show because he had uh, written a computer program that somehow created music. And he went on to become uh, a great code writer. Uh, he is the one who gave us the whole text-to-speech code. He is the one that wrote a lot of synthesizer coding. Uh, Ray Kurzweil is one of his most famous first uh, customers was uh, Stevie Wonder. Uh, he did accomplish a lot with this technology and he did help with this bitter problem of blindness. But Kurzweil would take that much farther. He became what's uh, known as uh, kind of the leader of the transhumanist movement. Transhumanists believe that we can solve this bitterness problem with earthly means. Particularly, their, their thinking goes along these lines, that by the year 2045, uh, they believe that, that at that point, computers will overtake human beings in intelligence, and there will be this explosion of knowledge, and with that knowledge, we will be able to start solving all of our problems. Uh, they call this the singularity, the single moment in time when everything will begin to, to get better. But what if the problems, what if the bitterness of this life is, is not a problem in our brains, not really necessarily a problem in our understanding of things or in our genetics, our DNA, but what if the seed of this problem is really somewhere else? What if it is in our souls? And, and this is why the earthly mindset falls short. And this is why we need the Easter mindset. This Easter mindset begins in our souls, in that non-material part of life that we just confessed in the Nicene Creed when we said that we believe in God who made all things visible and invisible. Our soul is one of those invisible things that God has created. And only a fool would reject this truth. The soul is the seat of so many important things. It is the seat of meaning, of morality, of beauty, of faith, of love. And yet Paul recognizes and writes to the Colossians about this in chapter 2, verse 8, warning them not to be cheated by the philosophies of this world that again come back to the earthly things, the basic things, the basic principles of the world, thinking that somehow those things can give us the escape that we need from the fallenness of this world. Rather, Paul points the Colossians to Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, who brought truth and love and above all forgiveness into this world through his life, 
through his death, through his resurrection, and through his words. On the cross, he destroyed sin. And through that love, he gave us a different singularity, a new moment in time when all things change for the better. Again, writing in chapter 2, he said, you being dead in trespasses, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. About a hundred yards west of Culver's restaurant on 157 over here, there used to be, I don't know if it's still there or not, a, an old abandoned telephone pole. Still had a few wires hanging off of it. Somebody had crawled up to the top of the pole, which was kind of shaped like a cross, and had, with a can of spray paint, painted the letters I-N-R-I on it. Now, I doubt that most of the walkers and runners who went by there really noticed it or knew what that meant. I-N-R-I are the first letters of the Latin words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This, see, in the Roman world, when they crucified people for public crimes, they always posted their crimes on a placard above their heads. And, uh, you know, those post, uh, posted things would say, this is a robber, this is a murderer, this is a rebel, or something like that. Uh, Pilate put a placard like that above Jesus. But if you remember, a Pilate believed Jesus was innocent, so he didn't put any crimes on Jesus' placard. There were none to put. So he put that. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And this was Jesus truly in his innocence, dying in our place. For above our cross, there would be a placard that would say, sinner, loser, rebel, failure, and so on. But things have changed, and this is the singularity of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, and because of our connection to that resurrection in Jesus, and in our baptisms, a new placard reads, Baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Things have changed. Things are now moving in the right direction by the grace of God. This is the single most important event that this world has ever seen and that we are so privileged to be a part of. Today, in response to this message, I'm going to give you some homework. I'd like you to go home and do two things with it. First thing, I'd like to encourage you to read Paul's letter to the Colossians. Only four chapters. takes about 15 minutes to read. But read this letter and just see how Paul works with these two ways of thinking. The earthly philosophies of this world versus the truth of Christ, God in the flesh, for the forgiveness of sins and for our salvation. Secondly, if you still have any Easter candy left over, eat a little bit of that. And as you're eating it, and as you notice how the sweetness of it is there for a while, but then fades away, uh, think about the reality of that, too, in this life. It is bittersweet. The sweetness is here in some ways, but it is not final. It is not eternal. It is not ultimate. It is not complete. But Jesus is. And so, this is the way we can be rooted and built up in Him, and we can continue 
living in this word and in this single most important event that changes everything. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You are risen. You are risen indeed. Alleluia. Please rise.